there's a couple of kind of myths or ideas around HR that I, we, we want to push back against. We want to dispel. Um, Keith earlier said, "Hey, com, uh, HR's compliance focused, or uh, you know, employee paperwork focused. <laughs> this the stuff you got to do to stay out of jail." And you know, there's I'm, I'm not I'm not going to disagree that that's a part of the job, but. What most companies overlook is that their HR should be their labor multiplier. Uh, if you're going to spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month on your labor pool, how much of, you can? You, how much of that is can you spend to multiply the effectiveness of that labor? The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Hey, welcome back, everyone, and Googleization Nation to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. We are entering the second half of 2020, and I've been doing a lot of work with uh, putting this this course together. I might have mentioned it on an earlier show uh, on change management for a new graduate program at a, re a local college. And so doing a lot of research, a lot of reading, and came up with this question, been digging deep into something called Blue Ocean Strategy. Many of you may be familiar with it. Also, uh, following up on uh, one of our uh, previous guests, uh, Charlene Lee, who has a great new book about the disruption mindset? And the one question that that came up that just seems striking, and that's what we're going. We'll be talking a little bit about that today. Is what seems most odd during this time? And I don't even know where to begin. As we, if we look back over the last four months, there is a whole lot of stuff that seems pretty odd. And I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, we talk a lot about the, the crazy shift going on and and when the shift hits your plan. But there's, there's a lot of odd stuff that just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So we're going to be talking about that today. And to get through that, uh, we all need to become better at the, at questioning some of the things we do, why we do, why we used to do the things we did, uh, what's going to work going forward, and also really develop a lot of new processes for that. And uh, being in the people business, we're going to talk on people processes today. And our guest uh, who will be joining us shortly is Rami Alagil. And he had just interviewed me a week or so ago, maybe two weeks, uh, on his show, a podcast. And I reciprocated and, and brought him on this one because I, I thought it was really, really appropriate going forward. And I'm also in a few groups. I'm in a consulting group. I'm a mentor to a, a few entrepreneurs and startups. And within there, they're, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at how do we develop a process so they can scale and grow. And HR has, has certainly always had systems in place, but I'm not sure they always had great processes. So we'll talk about what the difference is. And uh, again, this is about either scaling up 
because you're still doing well and there are businesses that are doing well, or it's about how do you come out of this post, how, how do you survive, how do you thrive in the post-pandemic? What's that going to look like? And uh, so we'll be talking to Rami about that as well. Uh, before we get too far, I want to make sure that we thank our sponsors, uh, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions for helping us be on the air. You'll hear a little bit more about them during the show. And uh, a lot of number, a lot of things that are happening this week, uh, in addition to the podcast tomorrow, uh, for anyone who wants to join, I'm going to be uh, the, the guest on a roundtable sponsored by JobSync. I know uh, we've had quite a few people on those calls the last few weeks. And tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be talking about how the job skill shortages have not gone away post-pandemic. A lot of people think that because we've got 40-plus million people that are unemployed, uh, up double-digit unemployment rate, that it's just a lot easier to find people. And all the stuff that Keith and I and everybody else has been warning you about over the last few years uh, just evaporated and it went away. And that's just not the <laughs> that's just not the case at all. Uh, as I said, the, the COVID the COVID nineteen did not infect people with a lot of new job skills. It just it just exposed them. So I, I know I got a chuckle out of that for a rec from Keith. So Keith, how are you doing? <laughs> I I got to tell you, dude. I'm well. To answer your question first, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Um, you know, Ira, it's so interesting thinking about the shift that happened to me along the way. Where, you know, I, I, we started this podcast together when we were both in HR, and now I've turned into more of the sales enablement world. But I got to tell you, one of the things that resonates with me more and more is how, you know, just like what you were saying earlier, right? Like having a system doesn't mean that you can scale, it could be an outdated system. And believe me when I tell you, I'm talking to, Senior level executives, CEOs, I'm talking to people that are trying to figure out how they can take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of them right now. And it's wild to me how, you know, 18 months ago or almost two years ago, you and I started talking into our microphones. And here I'm seeing how how big of a challenge it is, not just inside of HR, inside of sales organizations and inside of companies altogether. And it's, well, we, it's good. No, you go finish. And it just it's really intriguing to me to see the difference in mindset between sales and HR, because for more, you know, I, I hope the HR people that hear that hear this get where I'm going with it and they don't take uh, offense to it. But sales has always been about making change. And HR has been historically about managing compliance and personnel. And now we got to throw, we put it all together, we throw it out the COVID window, and we almost go back to the, to the, the chalkboard to redesign how we go through business, redesign what our messages are, and whether or not the client is somebody who pays you know, uh, a fee for ongoing services or an employee at a company. Com leaders today need to figure out the right process, change the old habits, and, and scale and do it fast. And then they'll get ahead of the competition. So so I'm looking at here, I'm staring at the questions. And I know the one thing you said is that sales was always good. And then I had to think back. And this was probably you were you were a kid and I was in, in still in school. But you know, it used to be that IBM and Xerox were 
the sales teams. I mean, everybody tried to model their sales approach uh, after Xerox and IBM. And basically, if you couldn't get a job there, you you had a job for life, not only there, but you could take the skills you learned there and apply them. And then you look what happened to IBM and Xerox. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sales has not always been at the top end. And there's certainly a lot of organizations now that are struggling with it. And again, they had a system and they might have had some processes. And there's, there is a slight difference. So I'm anxious to, to get kind of Rami's take on that. But uh, going forward, any it doesn't matter if you, you could have had the perfect if there is such a thing as a perfect process. You could have had a perfect process four months ago. And today it's it's incompetent. You'd be incompetent it's inefficient because ever you know, really so much has changed. Uh, if you're still doing well, and fortunately, you know, my business is, um, you know, we were up over 50 percent last quarter, which is crazy. I mean, you talk about odd things. What seems <laughs> odd during this time? I'm in the HR business. I'm in the hiring business. If people don't hire or promote uh, promote people. I don't have business coming in. It's as simple as that. Uh, even with the recruiting in the age of Googleization, if they're not hiring, they're not recruiting, and there's no business. Uh, and how the business is is up that much is just, it's odd. Um, I have a couple thoughts on it, but it, it's odd. It's, it's odd that the stock market's at an all-time high, and so is un unemployment hasn't been this high since the Great Depression. And yet, this, and the reason that they had a Great Depression then was because the stock market collapsed. Now we've got high, his high unemployment and the stock market skyrocketing. How's right. that, how's that happen? We have, so, we have civil unrest, social unrest. So um, there, there's so much going on. So there's a lot going on in the background. So as we talk about that, there's a couple questions that I'm going to keep throwing out. And I'm going to make this the theme going forward um, and, you know, put everybody on the spot a little bit. But, you know, kind of what seems odd, most odd. But one of the, que one of the other questions is, and I think this goes back into uh, um, how you apply this. Is what seems odd because it doesn't fit into our mental map, into our mindset, or is it truly odd? And I think that's sort of the, that's a tough question to answer. It, are, are, you know, as even as I'm saying, it was really, really strange that the business is up or that uh, unemployment's sky high and so is the stock market. Is it is it odd because it doesn't fit into what our worldview is, our views of, of what the future should look like? Or is it truly odd? And our response needs to be different. Because if it's just me, or it's just you, or it's just Rami, or just anybody listening out there that thinks that um, this is truly odd because it doesn't fit my world, well, then you need to change your world. If it's truly odd, I mean, if, if this is unprecedented and everybody's scrambling, that then there, there lies a, a huge opportunity, not just to change, but there's opportunity Absolutely. out there is everybody's scrambling. So how you approach some of these things is going to be, you know, really, really different. So I'm, I'm excited for that. So we're, we're going to that's sort of the framework where we're going to be having some of these discussions. And we have some really good people coming up for the rest of the month as well. Uh, before we jump into that, as I, as I mentioned, uh, got this webinar tomorrow at 11 a.m. Uh, you can the best way to probably find that is go to my Twitter or LinkedIn feeds. I'm, I'm posting it out there. And uh, again, we're going to be talking about how 
how, how the labor market has not improved, um, other than there's a lot more people applying, but how it has not improved uh, just because we have this COVID. Uh, on Friday, um, and this was this is a new update, uh, and she was a guest as well just about a year ago as Heidi Spearge. Uh Heidi uh, is the vice is um, chief. No, she's more than vice president. She is the chief strategy and marketing officer for Cornerstone on Demand, who just recently bought out Saba. But when we when you talk about being one of the largest software HR software platforms in the world, um, and they just acquire a huge competitor. And then over the course of a year or the course of the last few months, think about how the pandemic has impacted everybody's HR process, you know, HR systems like on hiring and unemployment. And then you have a, um, basically, a, you know, a really move, a revolution to move for diversity and inclusion in the process. So how does their how do they help that? Um, and it and, you know, they, they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of clients that are that are all dealing with people from payroll to to recruitment to onboarding to to learning uh, so she's my guest uh, Friday uh, again at 11 o'clock again uh, and you can get to that by going to crowdcast.io forward slash Ira wolf crowdcast.io forward slash Ira Wolf. So we have got uh, two interesting conversations coming up this week, uh, and we'll continue that. But one, we've got a great conversation uh, as we invite our guest Rami uh, Alagiel on. Um, he, as I said, uh, he's got a company, Poplar, uh, Poplar Financial, not popular, Poplar Financial. Uh, and he wrote a book, uh, a bestseller on Amazon, I believe it was last year, 2019, uh, called People Processes. And that's his expertise, and especially, obviously, people processes, especially HR. And so welcome, Rami, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm excited to be here. This is great. So so thank you. So let me let me start out um, a, a little bit, um, and then you know through the course of the conversation, we'll talk a little bit more about what you do and who you are and your business. Um, but let's start out with that question: um, What have you found to be most odd during this time? Well, I think the fact that we you know hit twenty five percent unemployment, but still had a tight labor market, has got to be up there at the top. Um, I don't think. Anyone would have predicted that given that sort of unemployment, we would have those issues. But with federal programs that highly incentivized, you know, not coming to work for health reasons, it was intentional. It's not like they were crazy. Uh, put a lot of companies in a strange position, especially those that were most poised to take advantage of the crisis. And therefore, they need to hire and grow. And now we've got a great opportunity. Um, they're in a rough spot right now uh, because they have... Uh, excess demand and a rough supply when it comes to people. Uh, so I think that's got to be up there at the top. Uh, other than that, I think the fact the 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 actual response of the government by itself has to be a high highly unlikely thing. If 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 you think cities, states, and 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 even federal government is going to pass regulations that require the closure of mass swaths of the uh, economy. If there had been odds taken on that two years ago, that also is just a uh, is unfathomable, right? It's like if you were making your strategic vision January one, it's like what should we? How much should we wait? The idea that the government just says 
yeah, all the companies in this business, in the city that uh, require face-to-face interaction, you can't be in business for two months. That's not high on that uh, strategic forecasting plan. So uh, I think those have got to be uh, – it's it's an unusual world we're in because of those things. And I want – and Rami, I, I like how you just like took it right there because I wonder how much of that is going to actually change. I just – there's no way that me or Ira would ever – confess to be the, the 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 super smart people in the room about stuff like this right but what we what we keep wondering is when is it gonna stop being when is the when are the plans going to stop shifting and I think now for the foreseeable future it's going to be that much harder for businesses to actually figure out whether like I know I'm stumbling here because you got me all excited with that last thought like <laughs> How are they going to be able to figure out what's real and what's not going to move in the next 12 to 18 months, right? Well, I think anytime we have mass disruption, I think back to 2001 and 9-11, right? We had a we had a terrorist threat. We had not a threat. We had actuality. And even though it only hit the United States and New York, uh, it affected everybody. Malls had trouble staying open, right? Because people didn't want to go to the mall. They were afraid they'd get blown up. Uh, Every school had to change its internal training. Even now, we have workplace violence drills and and, um, uh, active shooter drills, which before 2001 were not an uh, an actuality in in any sort of training, uh, much less a strategic plan or something that, you know, boards expected to make sure we have something in writing about what's going to happen because no one considered that a threat. We're simply moving into a new environment where there are uh, at least two new, we call them morbidities, likelihoods of death. Uh, It's not a fun way to think about it, but we have one that is um, what happens when there's a virus or or pandemic that, that can cause major disruption to business because people can get very, very sick from it. It's not something that we thought about in 2019. But 2020, for the next 20 years, or longer even, it's going to be a standard part of your business plan. You're going to have to incorporate that additional risk factor. The other factor you're going to have to incorporate is, in the case of the government uh, having the right or the ability or the likelihood of determining what businesses should stay open or not in a case like that, how do you position yourself in such a way that you're able to continue working? They're just threats. You have... Uh, you, you can call Amazon a threat if you're a small business retailer. You right. can look at, um, uh, like I said, terrorists and violence in 2001 to 2015 were a big – everyone thought about it. It was part of a business plan. Uh, and now we have to think about the same. Cybersecurity is another example of a just constant expense, threat, uh, likelihood of death, whatever you want to call it, that businesses have to incorporate in their planning. And – while it feels very scary right now, and it is scary, um, as time goes on, it'll be something that we will have systems, processes, providers in place to make sure we navigate them well. So it's just another threat that we'll take care of. And, and, and Rami, as you were talking about there, and again, I, I guess the challenge is is that we, we look at those as 
now is isolated things um, that we had 9-11 and, you know, we say we had a terrorist attack. Unfortunately, in almost 20 years, that's not occurred to that extent, although the pandemic is taking as many lives every single day as the as 9-11 did. Uh, but we had that and then we had the school shootings and then and, you know, certainly more active shooter uh, challenges. Uh, and, you know, so there, there's both market factors and there's um, uh, world factors, uh, political factors that are that are taking place. Sure. But all this is happening at one time. I mean, the one thing that's not going to change is the pandemic, even if we get a vaccine in January, you know, or by the end of the year. Um, 50 percent of the population's already said they're not going to take it, um, you know, or accept it. And, and that and, and for, you know, whether you whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but people are going to be cautious. Mm -hmm. uh, the most vulnerable population, which is over 65, at, at least at this point, that seems to be changing. But the most vulnerable population for certainly long term morbidity and mortality is uh, anyone over 65. They're at risk. I mean, they may not even be they may not even be the first population that's eligible for it because there's always a risk the first time you, you do anything. Uh, so they still may be vulnerable. But on top of that, we still are going to have a risk of active shooters. Um, we have a risk of terrorism. Um, all these things are converging. We, we just seem sure. to be throwing more ingredients uh, into the pot. <laughs> I push back against the narrative that things are crazier now than ever. I'm, I mean, I, I appreciate the VUCA idea, and, and uh, but I think, you know, there was a Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Uh, we've had businesses that succeeded through revolution, through civil war, mm -hmm. true civil war, uh, banking crises that the depression, which you can say was caused by a stock market crash or by a deflation of, the, of monetary policy in terms of our money supply, there's a lot of different ideas there. There are plenty of businesses that were around in 1910 that are still around. They may be different. They've grown. They've merged. But I would say that that while I, I, everyone right now is very, um, well, they're 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 afraid that this time is even crazier than the last. And and I just don't think that's the case. We have more tools. We have more uh, uh, technology. We have better educated people than ever. Uh, we have broader skill bases than ever, and I I feel confident that um, where whether this pandemic is a 9/11 type event, and we're not going to see anything like it for 20 or 30 or 50 years, or whether pandemics are something that's going to happen every five years going forward, uh, we will adapt to it. And and as a business leader, um, it 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 works better to think. Hey, you know, our forefathers got through something just as crazy. Our the businesses that we've grown and loved and respected over the years uh, face challenges every day as well, and uh, we can we can adapt to it. And in the case of something like the pandemic, here's an excellent example of of the adaptation of the market. If you right now were a uh, let's 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 go to the old example of like you're starting up a business and you write your business plan and you go to a bank for a loan. Not that many people do that anymore, but let's say you did. <laughs> um, if you were a retail store that requires that it's not going to be online for some reason, you know, work face to face, uh, or you're a plumbing shop that requires you go out and work in other people's homes face to face, the bank is much more likely to loan 
again, ignoring the internet for some reason, they're much more likely to loan to the plumbing house because they recognize that the government is very unlikely to shut that business down, even in the case of a pandemic, right? They give, they, there's already a risk premium to a business that's non-essential. Uh, attorney's offices that work in criminal defense, um, believe it or not, have a premium now because those, those systems stay open even during pandemics versus those that work in civil suits. Uh, you're more likely to be, not be able to do your job perform depositions, get time in court if you're an ambulance chaser versus a criminal uh, defense attorney. So these slight shifts in the market are going to come because of this new reality, this new danger. But um, it, it's no different than many, many shifts that have happened in the last hundred years. And I think what what's really important with what you said, and I want to make sure this is clear to people, because when you, you first started talking and, and sort of said, hey, you know, it, it was... You weren't saying that VUCA will go away, the voluntary, uncertain, complex, and amb ambiguity. No, um, no. I, I just think it's been around we're, forever. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, but, but we're going to – but people adapt to it. We change. We, we position it. We, we never went back to – you know, we didn't go back to 1999 after, after 2001 – we adapted to it. We changed exactly. the way we did things. Uh, yeah, it was still a pain in the butt until we stopped flying a couple months ago. Uh, you know, we, we basically tolerated standing in line and taking off our shoes. And then, you know, they modified that a little bit. Uh, but we we, modif we we adjusted to all those things. And and so I think you're, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Um, but I know there's a lot of people that are still saying, you know, I, I when are we going to get back to normal? When are we going to go back to the way it was? And that's never. And thank God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, you had to push back. I mean, it's the people who are dreaming of the past, even if that past was just five months ago, are in the wrong. They're, they're not thinking right. You've mentioned there's an opportunity here. There absolutely is. Uh, but even more so, it's it's never going back to the way it was. Just like after 9-11, I use 9-11 as a great example that disrupted business and changed business practices significantly. Um, and it turns out that it was pretty much a black swan event. It was 20 years ago, um, it, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, <laughs> Lord willing, it's not going to happen again, ever, period. But we adapted our business practices to prepare for it. And as time has come on, gone along, we've decided, all right, this is less and less of a risk. But if 9-11 had happened, and then 9-16 happened. If we had another event like that, that, that we had to, and we had to incorporate in a statistical manner that this is a more likely occurrence to happen. From a business perspective, there's a personal thing here. There's a patriotic thing. There's a, a religious thing. There's all those. But from a business perspective, what you have to do is go, that risk exists. It's more likely than I thought it was before, or it's less likely than I thought it was before. We're going to incorporate it into our plans and adapt to it. And you are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. And our guest today is Rami Alajil, uh, having a, a fantastic conversation uh, beyond the future of work about what our future is, uh, what seems odd. And, and uh, the good news is it's odd, but we'll adapt to it. Then this will seem normal at some point. Uh, but just to confirm, we're not going back to normal, but whatever is odd right now will become our new normal. And we're going to continue to move on. Um, Rami has a lot of experience. Uh, he, he's actually, there's a webinar up in, in there, which he could share. I believe it was a webinar or some instruction on on even using PPP. 
but also has an interesting background, uh, serves on the Federal Reserve's Industry Council on Healthcare. Uh, so about, I know everybody's always concerned about employer costs, uh, especially in the healthcare market. Another ruling today by the Supreme Court, which will affect uh, healthcare as well. Uh, but we are, but as I said, you are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show here with uh, myself, Ira Wolf, and Keith Compagna. Uh, you're going to hear from our sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solution. So stay right where you are. We'll be back in two minutes. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry, to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, with my co-host, Keith Compagna, today, and our special guest is Rami Alagil. Uh, we were talking in the first part of the show all about uh, VUCA, voluntary uncertain, or voluntary, vol not, not very voluntary <laughs> these days, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, uh, and uh, how odd things were, but uh, eventually odd will become the new normal, and then we'll look back at another event in the future of how odd that is. Uh, but uh, we're, we're moving forward. But Rami's uh, specialty, kind of expertise, I don't say specialty, but his expertise is in people processes. And uh, so one of the things that I'd like to, to talk to you about, Rami, is, well, one is just kind of share a little bit. What do you do in your spare time when you're not doing podcasts? Uh, I was on your. I know ah. you have a. You, I, I you have a podcast, and I, and uh, I was on yours a couple. Um, I don't think it aired yet, but I, I we recorded it. Uh, you're on mine, and I know you you interview some interesting people, but you you do have a, a job. You just don't do podcasts. So, what, what do you do on a day to day basis? Yeah, well, I'm the founder and CEO of People Processes. Same name as the book. Um, we are a outsourced HR organization, so we help companies design, implement, and even if needed, run on a day-to-day -day basis the uh, ins and outs of their HR processes. And we kind of break those into kind of specific life cycle events for employees, uh, along with 
uh, what we call the people processes. And those are things like recruiting, onboarding, uh, development, performance management, strategic management. We take a look into the um, uh, offboarding process, which I think is probably one of the most important processes that's often overlooked. We talk about it. We, we work in, and have a full system for compliance that includes audits and checking these sorts of things. And we work with about 200 companies across the United States. So that's um, that's what I do on my day job. I run a, run a team that's really handling that most days in and out. Uh, I get to spend four or five hours uh, on that uh, and then a couple hours creating content. Outside of work, I'm a total nerd. Uh, I, I'm on the Economics Council, as you mentioned, with, with the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, where we discuss healthcare. I spend my evenings uh, with my new baby, but also I love to read uh, the American Economics Journal. I read a lot of, uh, for example, the Supreme Court uh, decision you mentioned that came out this morning. I've already read the dissenting opinion. I haven't read the majority, but I read <laughs> almost every opinion of nice. the Supreme Court. Um, and that's what I love to do on my evenings and Saturday mornings, believe it or not, is uh, Supreme Court readings. I, I got addicted in high school listening to the arguments, and now I read the uh, the rulings. That is pretty geeky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Robbie, uh, obviously, this is a great time. Uh, this is a time to reflect. Uh, you know, now there's some businesses that are just going crazy. I mean, they're just super busy, uh, especially those in the PPP business and and, and pharma. Um, but there there are businesses that are doing really well, and there's other ones that are taking this time uh, a breather, um, and they're they're taking this time to reflect on what do we need to change. And I've had a lot of discussions uh, in in many different. Uh, uh, different forms uh, with people that are starting to document what they do in the process and and whether it be, hey, uh, I've had a couple conversations with clients or potential clients. As they reopen, they might have had 100 employees or they had 600 employees. I, I was on the call. Hopefully, they'll invite me over. Uh, was actually in the island of Maldives, uh, a resort. They've been closed down. They're going to open in September. They had 200 employees. They're going to hire 50 people back to start. And they're saying, we're re-looking at our processes. So this was really timely. And they mm -hmm. were looking at testing. So where does someone start? Um, you know, it, it's, you know, I'm sure they can pick up the phone and call you or email you and reach out and go, hey, we're ready to redo our process. But what should a company do? Um, if they're not thinking about it, number one is if they're not thinking about it, they should. Uh, second is, what's the next step? So, hey, we need help. We need to relook at this. We, we, what's it? What's the first step that? Uh, they well, forgetting do? forgetting about working with us directly. Um, there's a couple of kind of myths or ideas around HR that I, we, we want to push back against. We want to dispel. Um, Keith earlier said, "Hey, com uh, HR's compliance focused, or uh, you know, employee paperwork focused. <laughs> this this stuff you got to do to stay out of jail." And you know, there's I'm, I'm not I'm not going to disagree that that's a part of the job. But what most companies overlook is that their HR should be their labor multiplier. Uh, if you're going to spend you know, $100,000 a month on your labor pool. How much of you can? You, how much of that is? Can you spend to multiply the effectiveness of that labor? For example, if you're spending $100,000 a month on your payroll and you spent no money, zero dollars, paying attention to how the employees onboarded, compliance, what sort of performance management you put in place, uh, how the employees are offboarded when they're terminated you're not even getting $100,000 worth of labor out compared to the rest of the market. Uh, 
right. spending a minimal amount on HR, if you're spending none, gives you outsized returns. So I often tell companies to take a look, and our goal is to identify quickly the 20% of HR crap that they can get done that'll give them that'll get them 80% of the way there, right? That Pareto optimality. We want to go in there and take a look at where what they're we what we the way we do it, and and ours is a little bit more complex than maybe a, a small business owner would do internally, but we start by identifying each of these primary interaction points between the employee and the company, recruiting, onboarding, uh, what we call performance management, so goal setting, that kind of thing. Uh, then we go on to compensation and benefits, payroll, timekeeping, offboarding. Uh, and a few other kind of we, – we've laid out about eight of them that we, uh, we, we, we go through and we see what you're doing now. Now, from an internal perspective, if you're a small business owner listening and you're thinking, all right, I'm spending this money on labor. How do I get more out of it? How do I either get people who just suddenly know more or are better able to do things? Take that list um, with – on uh, and recruiting is, I think, a big part of it. But start with onboarding. And think about what your goal is from onboarding. Start with, this is just one good example. If you look at your employee pool, uh, you, you can internally connect it to the same mindset you use when you get a client. There, a lot of business owners, uh, Keith, are more comfortable thinking in that sales mentality, right? So we spend a lot of money marketing then we sell them. We do qualification in that sales process to make sure they're even a marginally appropriate fit. We spend a lot of time bringing them through it, and then we make the close, and suddenly they're our client. That's the sales process. When you think about the recruiting process, it's very similar. You're marketing through job advertisements. You want to make sure you're marketing to the correct place, uh, or to the correct people. When they apply, you then go through an interview process, very similar to the sales process. And then finally, yes, you've hired them. You got the person. Great. Imagine it was a client, and then the first thing you did after you got the client is you sent them via mail a stack of 300 black and white, kind of funky-looking copy pages and ask them to fill that out so we can get started with what we sold you on. Right. Sounds like a mortgage process. Right. <laughs> when you when you look at your people, it's similar. Onboarding is a process that in many, many companies out there, you've spent a ton of time building up, finding the, uh, the correct employee, qualifying them, selling them on the job, closing them. And now they're starting and you've put nearly no effort into that onboarding experience. So the way to do this is get out a piece of paper, small business owner, write your onboarding process. It's totally okay if that onboarding process is they show up to work and then they walk around following me while I talk about random things. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine, right? But write it out. Write it down on a piece of paper. When you're done writing out vaguely what you do now, and I'm not asking you to be like super detailed. We use form LB22 and then we fill, eh, generally outline it. Draw a line. And now I want you to write the word goal. This process of onboarding should have a goal. If your goal is to get them to sign pieces of paper and that's it, well, you probably have a decent process. You got all your pieces of paper signed. But if your goal of onboarding is to, as quickly as possible, move this new client, this new employee from enthusiastic to come to work to 
actually useful to the organization to the extent that they know their job, they know what to do, and perhaps most importantly, that 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 Uber goal, that BHAG, that we're going to go one step further is not only do they know their job, but they can be trusted to make the decisions about their job for which we have no processes or guidance. That's the way we define our onboarding process at our, at our company and for many of our clients. We, onboarding is the process by which we take someone from enthusiastic to competent to trustworthy. And that's how we define it. If you write that goal out and look at what you wrote above it in terms of your process, most business owners and HR people aren't stupid. They're going to look at it and they're going to go, okay, we got to change our process a little bit, right? We need to make a tweak here or there or completely redo the darn thing to accomplish our goal. And that's how we look at each of the people processes. We go through, we identify what is the goal of this process. We look at what you're doing now. And then we make tweaks and changes over time to improve them. That's the beauty of a process that you can make changes over time to consistently improve. So I would say for your business owners out there listening, pick one of those, performance management, onboarding, strategic management, offboarding, you know, is your job to not get sued? Is that your goal? Well, there's probably a good couple steps in there you need to work on, but maybe your goal of offboarding is to learn where in the prior people processes you screwed up because you did. Just like if you had a client who came on board, you spent a ton of time and effort marketing to them, selling them, onboarding them, providing your service, and then they left you for a competitor, you want to know why. Even if you had to fire them because they're a terrible client, turns out this was not a good fit at all. Well, guess what? You have a problem in your sales or marketing processes you didn't qualify correctly. There's something you can go back and improve. Business owners understand this intuitively, but when an employee leaves, they go, ah, that guy was a butthead. That's, that's, that's my answer. <laughs> you know, the root cause analysis. A millennial. Those yeah, are millennials. Under 40, X amount, done. Right. So that's the same thing. Look at, look at each one of your processes and figure out what the goal is that you have, perhaps improve upon that goal, and then examine your processes to fix it. That's all we do over and over and over. And we use tech <laughs> enterprise level stuff to make it more and more automated so that we can spend more time improving the processes rather than actually doing them. But in, in effect, the whole secret is to think of your employees just like you do your clients and be concerned when they leave, concerned when you have to fire them and figure out where you made a mistake in a prior process. And you know, that sounds like a lot of work. It's a good thing everybody comes to work in the same building anymore. That makes it <laughs> a lot easier, huh? You know, I will say this, this, speaking of things that have changed, one of the biggest opportunities here from COVID is it has broken the taboo of requiring a fancy smancy office. You know? Mm -hmm. People have already decided, I've got a 150-person law firm with a couple hundred support people. Uh, they had to go work from home. They uh, have been working from home now for like four months. We just did a couple of consistent uh, surveys. And you know what? 80% of them would rather work from home than come back to the office. Mm -hmm. This is a company with tens of thousands of dollars a week in office expenses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're quite yeah. pleased to hear this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be in the commercial real estate business right now. I feel you. <laughs> so, well, we already yeah. started seeing there are um, – I had conversations uh, with the entrepreneur business owner a few months ago 
And we're already seeing that the uh, the retail stores around malls are going to be turned into apartments. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's really yeah. fascinating. The, the mini micro cities inside of cities. No, oh, absolutely. Tip uh, of the iceberg. So, so I've got. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that that's that's absolutely it. Again, the businesses will adapt. In a thought of those of you who are thinking about going from home and the opportunity that this presents, going to a recruiting thought like I was very concerned with, many companies are going to continue, despite not needing it, to funnel ridiculous amounts of money into their office spaces. Fine. It's a mistake for many of them. Not for all of them. Some companies still need it. I'm with you. But many of them are going to continue to put there. Imagine if they took half that budget and put it into setting employees up at home, the competitive advantage that would come from recruiting with, you don't have to come into the office. Well, you're already among a minority of companies or maybe a majority soon that says you can work from home. Cool. You don't think a competitive point is going to be when you work from home for us, we're paying for your internet. We're going to send you the best new laptop. You're going to get a great camera. We're going to make sure you have a good mic set up. We're going to... Uh, pay for a uh, cleaning service to come out to your house, whatever it is, I don't know, whatever you can do to differentiate yourself in that market is going to be a differentiation. It's going to be a new thing people compete on for labor. It'll be interesting. I was talking to the, uh, uh, well, a, a, a very large real estate developer, um, and he was arguing that in 10 years, he thinks that the standard home real estate listing is not going to be three bed, two bath. It's going to be three-bed, two-bath, one office, three-bed, two-bath, two office. The work-from-home revolution is going to hugely affect how many things are uh, done in the business world, and it's going to affect trends also in the residential real estate market. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Hey, I'm already there. Keith, you you've yeah. been in my you've been in my office, so we're we're already there now. If we well, get you the know, path, <laughs> the path cleaned it's out. wild to think. I don't know if you go back to way way in the before time, like April, when <laughs> when this first happened. The only question that I could get out of my mouth was, "What's this going to do when they find out nobody's going back to the offices?" Oh, like to me, that was. That. Rami, that was the thing that just shot to my head. It wasn't like, you know, the healthcare system would take care of the COVID infection. (laughs) But I was sitting here for days wondering, how is this going to impact all the moving pieces of business? And and here we are talking about it like it's... uh, here we go. We're already adapting. Hey, so we're, we're coming up pretty close to the end of the show, and I do want to give uh, Rami time to, to kind of how people can get in touch with him. But I, but it, you, the, one of the disadvantages of just having audio and not video is that you couldn't see me. Uh, but I, I was smiling, Rami, as you were going through the, the, the onboarding process. And there is something called um, – I, I stole this from a friend of mine, Judy Studer, and she had the life cycle of an employee where employees start out highly motivated but not yet competent. And then they move into the second stage, which is highly motivated and competent. That's where you want everybody to be. But over time, they become demotivated but still competent. And eventually, if you let them go long enough, they become demotivated or unmotivated and not so competent. Um, So as you moved people through, as that person comes on the first day, highly animated, highly enthusiastic, but not yet ready to skill is how do you move them to stage two really quickly? Uh, And uh, it, it, it just brought back, uh, I've, I've known Junior for 25 years and that was one of the first things she taught me and it still holds true. 
so for people to do that, the people to, to help companies uh, go from stage one to stage two, how did they get a hold of you, Rami? Well, uh, we work with companies of all sizes, but our average client has 120 employees. We're actually launching right now. July 1 was our first date. Our fully outsourced HR departments uh, for sub 10 man companies, uh, which is a flat thousand bucks a month right now, where we'll come in and do everything from those audits we discussed. We're going to look at each of the people processes, create processes, and even execute them on a day-to-day -day basis for companies. Uh, so that's our current extreme promotion. We're very excited to see it. And Perfect. we think we're going to see a lot of people take us up on it uh, that maybe wouldn't have in the past because it's changed, right? You can't bring people into your office and have them just sit next to Sally's desk and listen to what she does. So you need the processes to bring these, these things up to date. You can reach me at peopleprocesses.com. LinkedIn is Rami Alijil. We're on Facebook, Instagram, everything at peopleprocesses. Um, in general, a lot of small companies are, are right now, they're in a position where they're trying to scale there where they're trying to adapt to this new reality, uh, but they need to adapt their operations to the new reality, their sales to the new reality, their marketing to their new reality, heck, their finance systems to the new reality. How are people going to freaking buy lunch? Um, mm -hmm. That kind of thing. How are they going to get up in the elevator? There you go. <laughs> Your HR uh, operations, we want to either help you in terms of we, we, we have different kind of levels, but larger companies, a lot of times they got a great HR staff. They just need support, guidance, and the tools from a technology perspective to automate a lot of these things once you've put the processes in place. We can help there. And for small businesses that want to do it for me solution, we've got that as well. Again, that's at peopleprocesses.com. Very easy. Rami, this was fantastic. I wasn't sure. My wife asked who my guest was today and, and it was like, people processes, hmm. And it was sort of that, but this was uh, th this was uh, this was a great conversation. It was fun, and and again, as most people, we have I I've got a ton of other things I'd love to talk about. So hopefully, you'll come back on the show in a, in a few months, and we can continue the conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you for having uh, me. Hey, uh, and uh, Keith, any uh, real quick? We, yeah, no. Uh, keep keep listening. Keep working, people, and anyone who's out there. Realize that when you feel stressed because there's so much change, shut off the news breathe, maybe listen to a podcast about mindfulness. And, and don't worry, like Rami said, this happened kind of before. It'll kind of happen again. Uh, I think if the internet proved anything, it's if you have the right technology, all you need is a hot spot and you could get work done. Yeah. And thanks to, again to Azor.ai and Success Performance Solution for helping us be here. Uh, we, If you uh, want to re-listen to this, you can go up to our uh, website, Geek Skeezers Googleization, or just got the new domain, Keith, besthrpodcast.com. The besthrpodcast.com. Yeah, I can't believe it was available. Um, don't forget to join us each week, every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on w4cy.com. Uh, or you can catch the podcast, as I, as I mentioned, on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, Geek Skeezers and Googleization. This is Ira Wolf. And Keith Compagna, don't let the shift hit your plans. Mm -hmm.